section of the series is the resurrection and beyond. And one of the things in this part of uh, the series of the resurrection and beyond is, is a commission that Jesus gave called the Great Commission. Um, but before I get to that, I want to share with you a little bit about a man named uh, George Wormer. And uh, George Wormer was the founder of Operation Mobilization. And he passed away just last month uh, in, in April of 2023. This organization has 5,000 workers representing more than 100 nationalities all around the world. But let me tell you how this all started. It all started with a woman who decided to pray. She prayed faithfully for the students in, in the 1950s. She prayed faithfully for the students in, her, uh, in the local high school that was there. And she wanted, her prayer was that she wanted these students in that high school to be able to touch the world, to share the gospel all around the world. And so she prayed for these students for 18 years. She prayed faithfully. And one day she gave the gospel of John to one of those students, and that was George Vermer. He later on uh, ended up giving his life to the Lord at a Billy Graham crusade, but his faith inspired him to share the gospel with those that were around him. And so in his high school, as he gave his life to the Lord, and he started to share with his fellow students about the gospel, within one year in his high school, 200 students committed their life to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I'm thankful for even some of our youth that have run Alpha in their high school in order to share the gospel with their friends and their fellow students. In college, he was uh, burdened uh, with those that didn't have a Bible, didn't have the gospel in their language. And so uh, him and two other friends sold some of their possessions in order, in order to go to Mexico in 1957 on a road trip. And they were able to distribute 20,000 Spanish tracts and 10,000 gospel booklets. This was just the beginning of many things that he would do. He met his wife, and they, and they got married, and uh, eventually they actually ended up selling some of their wedding presents in order so that they could fund an outreach to Mexico City. They moved uh, to Europe, and George started to uh, smuggle Bibles into communist countries in Europe. He launched what was known as uh, the Logo Ships, uh, a, a number of ships. Was, the Logo Ship was the first ship out of a, uh, about five ships or more than that, I think, uh, that went to so many different ports all around the world distributing gospel literature. It all started from him with a passion to fulfill the Great Commission. How many here, if I say those words, Great Commission, can I just see a show of hands? How many here, and if you're watching online, just type it in, I know. Uh, how many here, you know what the Great Commission is? Okay, a good number. In 2017, there was a Barna, Barna study, uh, and in that study, it said that 51% of churchgoers didn't know what the Great Commission was. And so I think it's an important topic for us to be able to talk about. And Dale read the scripture for us, so we won't read that whole thing again. But in, in that time, just before the ascension of Jesus, and Dr. Rebecca Eistrom talked to us about the importance of the ascension. I don't know how many of you remember the ascension. It was last Thursday, this Thursday that passed just a couple of days ago. That was actually ascension day, right? Uh, so hopefully you took some time to 
to rest and meditate uh, on that. But before his ascension, Jesus gave this great commission to everyone. And, and I just want to just go through that great commission this morning and just talk a little bit about what that means to us. And so the first part of the great commission actually talks about the authority that Jesus has. And to understand that Jesus has this authority is really significant for us because it gives us boldness to be able to take that great commission and to be able to share it with others. So in Matthew 28, verse 18, this is what we read. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So because Jesus possesses all authority, we also can have boldness, we can have confidence, we can have assurance knowing that as we go in his command, as we go being sent by him, as we go with him, that we also have that authority. There was a, a, a story uh, in the Gospels when Jesus came to a particular place with his disciples, and there was a man that was possessed with many demons. And uh, Jesus came to that man, and, and, and in that experience, uh, it says here, they began screaming at him, these demons within this man. Why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? Even the demons recognized the power and authority that Jesus had and said, are you here to torment us? Are you here to cast us out? Are you here to, to do something to us even before the time? And so there was a, a sense of authority when Jesus was walking on the face of this earth. But even more so post-resurrection, post-death and resurrection of Jesus, we understand that all authority and all power was given to him in heaven and on earth. And so we can have boldness in responding to this great commission. We can have boldness in responding to the call of God, knowing that authority is there. If it, if it was any one of us just going on our own, we wouldn't maybe have that boldness. We wouldn't have that confidence. But with Jesus, because he has that authority, we can go with him. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this, Now he is far above any ruler or authority, speaking of Jesus, or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And so Jesus controls all things. He is the supreme ruler. He has all power. He has all authority. There was a time when Jesus was, was with the disciples in a boat, and there was a great storm that was happening, and the disciples were scared. They were thinking the boat's going to tip over, they were going to drown, and all of these terrible things were going to happen. And they woke up Jesus, and Jesus, in, in that situation, seeing that storm, seeing the, the, the waves roaring, he said, peace, be still. And all of a sudden, the waves quieted. All of a sudden, the storm finished. And the disciples looked at this man, this man, the Son of God, and said, and wondered, wow, look at him. Even the winds and the waves obey his word. Isn't that amazing? That all authority is given to Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, it says, so you are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. In our union with Christ, as we walk with Jesus, as we fellowship with Jesus, as we develop uh, our uh, relationship with Jesus, as we are a disciple of Jesus, we also can enjoy that rulership and that authority, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. 
In Philippians, it says this, Therefore God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the name that is above every other name. Friends, in your time of hardship, speak the name of Jesus. In your time of difficulty, speak the name of Jesus. In your time of sickness, speak the name of Jesus. In your time of desperation, speak the name of Jesus. Because Jesus has power and authority over all things. Over the wind and the waves, over sicknesses, over depression and anxiety, over every single thing that we can go through, Jesus has authority. And his name is above every other name. His name is over everything. Tax season just finished. If I were just to tell you, don't worry about paying your taxes, it's okay. What would you say? Daniel, you don't have the authority to do that. Right? But if I walked in with maybe Prime Minister Justin Trudeau or the head of the CRA or something like that, who gave you an exemption, then you might say, hey, maybe that might work. What's the difference? I don't have authority, but somebody else does. I don't have power, but Jesus does. I don't have the ability to change my situations and circumstances, but all power and all authority is held in Jesus because his name is above every other name right his name is above every other name so we speak the name of jesus we use the name of jesus he's as close as the mention of his name the second part of this uh, the second section of this so jesus says i've been given all authority and all power then he says this go and make disciples go and make disciples this is often the hardest part of the great commission Taking the first step to go could be very, very difficult. Maybe you're like Peter. Peter had an experience with Jesus. Jesus came to Peter and, um, and, and some of the other fishermen that were there, and he was teaching. And Jesus asked Peter, Peter, how's it going with your fishing? And Peter was like, terrible, we haven't caught anything. And so Jesus tells Peter, go out into the deep, put your net out in this place, and you'll catch some fish. And so Peter says, Lord... I don't know, like we've been trying all of this time, it hasn't happened, but at your word, because Jesus, you said, and there was a sense there that Jesus had authority even over the fishes, at your word, Jesus, we will do it. And Peter let down his net and they caught a great catch of fish. But look at Peter's reaction here in Luke chapter 5. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. You might hear this commandment and say, Go and make disciples. And maybe the first response is, Not me. Go and make disciples. Daniel, you do that. Go and make disciples. The pastors in the church do that. Go and make disciples. The elders can take care of that. No, this is a command for all of us. Go and make 
disciples. And maybe you're like Peter and you're saying, I don't know how to talk. I don't know how to speak. I don't know what to teach. I'm a sinful person. I got a long way to go. I don't know how to do any of this. Anyone here like that? Right? So what does Jesus say in response to that? He looks at Peter and he says this, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. This is the word of the Lord to you today. If you hear these words and say, go and make disciples, and your response is, Jesus, I can't do that. Jesus, I don't know how to teach. Jesus, I don't know how to speak. Jesus, I don't know how to explain things. Jesus, I don't know how to do any of this. His response is, don't be afraid. It's not, you're off the hook, don't worry, I'll get somebody else to do it. We would have liked that response, right? Peter, you keep fishing. You're really good at fishing. You're really talented at fishing, Peter. You keep fishing, Peter. I'll find some other people to make some disciples. No. He told Peter, don't be afraid. Friends, this is the commandment and the commission that he's given to all of us. If we are not making disciples, if we are not going and making disciples, we are disobedient to the command. Can I ask you that question today? One person, who are you discipling? I'm not asking for 10. I'm not asking for five. I'm not even asking for two. One person that you're discipling. If you're a follower of Jesus and you want to walk in the way of Jesus and you want to be a disciple, one person that you'll disciple. Just find one. Not two, not ten. You can do two, you can do ten. But can we start with one? The vision statement of our church is touching our world through Jesus, one life at a time. Friends, I know that our life is busy, the world is busy, we have work, we have school, we have this, we have that, we have all of these things going on. But if we believe in the command of Jesus, the Great Commission, if we realize that this is the principal thing that God is calling us to do in the world today, if he wants us to make disciples of others, then what are we doing? It's not, a, it's not about professional Christians making other people disciples. It's about each and every person that God has called to be followers of him to make disciples of all nations. And guess what? To make disciples of all nations, you don't need to go to another nation. The nations have come to us. We are living in the greater Toronto area, the most multicultural city in the whole world, and the nations have come to us. He's cut out, even at the time, the time and culture and season that we're living in, he's cut out the middle step for us. We have the opportunity to go to the nations. Or maybe we're like Jonah. Anyone here like Jonah? In the story of Jonah, we won't take time to read it. Our life groups are going to dig into that a little bit this week. Uh, if you look at some of the life group questions, which you can find in the lobby and online as well. But Jonah was given a command and a call. Go to Nineveh and preach my word to these people. And what did Jonah do? Instead of going, he went the opposite direction. I'll, I'll be very honest with you today. There will be some Jonas here today. You'll hear this message and you'll walk out this door and go the complete opposite direction. 
my prayer and my burden, I urge you, I exhort you, if you call Unionville Alliance Church your home church and you call me your pastor, I urge you, I exhort you, I plead with you, I share with you from the word of God. Let's not be like Jonah, but let's obey the command of the Lord and make disciples of all nations. Let's obey the word of God. Let's not be like Jonah. Jonah's situation was very unique because up until that time, the word of the Lord, the, the, the promises of God, they were all just for Israel. And instead of God sending Jonah to Israel, where did God send Jonah? He sent Jonah to a city called Nineveh. Nineveh was a, was a heathen city. It wasn't part of Israel. It wasn't part of the promises of God. It wasn't part of the covenants of God. It wasn't part of God's old grand plan. I really believe that what happened with Jonah going to Nineveh, God was foreshadowing what would happen when Jesus would come into this world, die on the cross, redeem humanity, and then say, it's not just for Israel, it's for all of humanity to go out into the world, share the good news of Jesus Christ, let the kingdoms come into me, let the people come into my kingdom, so that they may experience the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and everything that he has to offer in all of his love, in all of his grace, in everything that we can experience by knowing Jesus Christ. I think that was foreshadowing towards the greater plan of God. So here's the question. Before we can even make disciples, we need to be a disciple. So what is a disciple? Now, again, our life groups uh, are going to sort of dig in th through that this week, and I would love to hear some feedback from our life group leaders as well as you dig into this particular question in your, in your life groups and let me know what definition you come up with for what is a disciple. Here's a definition that I put together. I'm not saying this is comprehensive, complete, or the correct one. This is just the definition that I put together. A disciple is a disciplined person who learns, follows, and practices the teachings of their mentor or leader whom they love. Now, there's, there's probably a better definition for a disciple. I'd love to hear your feedback this week. But are we a disciplined one? In our lifestyle, in our practices, in what we're doing, are we a disciplined one? Are we learning from Jesus? Are we understanding his teachings? Are we learning from him? Are we following Jesus? Are we practicing the way of Jesus? Are we loving Jesus? These are all questions that come out of this statement. What are we doing? Are we disciplined? Are we learning? Are we following? Are we practicing? Are we loving? Now, you might come up with a, a, a better definition than this, or maybe you might come up with a few paragraph definitions. I was trying to give you a short one. But the way of Jesus, God calls us to follow as disciples. And, and one way of being a disciplined one is to practice our spiritual disciplines. And we've talked about this a number of times, and we want to continue to press into these spiritual disciplines. Prayer, Bible reading, fasting, serving. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about serving. We're going to have our volunteer fair um, uh, outside as well. Generosity, silence and solitude, community, simplicity, hospitality, Sabbath, so many other things that God has put in his word for us to practice, for us to live out so that we can learn of Jesus, follow the way of Jesus, practice the way of Jesus, and then be able to teach that to others as well. 
John Mark Comer says this, if you want the life of Jesus, I won't finish the sentence first. Anyone here, you want the life of Jesus? Put up your hand before, before I hear, give you the rest of the sentence. If you want, I'm setting you guys up, right? So if you want the life of Jesus, then you have to, then you have, to have the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want the life of Jesus, you need to have the lifestyle of Jesus, right? Jesus taught his disciples. He taught his disciples to pray through the Lord's prayer. Prayer was a lifestyle of Jesus. He taught the word of God to his disciples, the Sermon on the Mount. The word of God was part of the lifestyle of Jesus, Jesus took time apart in solitude, in quietness. He would get up early in the morning, times of solitude, to commune with his father. Solitude and silence was part of the lifestyle of Jesus. Jesus was generous to others. Generosity was part of the lifestyle of Jesus. He was never, too, he was never in a hurry. He always paused and stopped for people. Even in his busy schedule, he would always make time for people. He was generous with his time. He was generous in what he did. The word of God says that all that came to Jesus for a touch of healing, he healed them. He was generous. Jesus taught his disciples to live in community. They supported and depended one on another. We also are called to live in community where we support and depend on one another. It's a lifestyle that Jesus has asked us and called us to live in. Jesus taught his disciples to live in simplicity. At one point when he sent them, sent them out, he said, don't take two of this and don't take two of that, but just take one of these things. Just live simply and trust me and the Lord will provide for you. A lifestyle of simplicity is the way of Jesus. He taught his disciples to serve others just as he always served others, was always looking to meet their needs. Jesus practiced hospitality when there came a time when all of these people were listening to Jesus and they were enthralled with his teachings and they were just going day after day after day. And then finally the disciples said, look, it's getting late over here. Can you send these people out? Let them go and buy something to eat. And Jesus said, call Barb donor. He said, get her to come here. find some food for us. Barb does that great, greatly with us here. But Jesus told his disciples, give them something to eat. He practiced hospitality. He, he, he displayed, he modeled, he showed his disciples the way of Jesus, the, his way. Um, I'm, I'm going to be starting something called a Sabbath practice. Um, and I'm looking for about 10 to 12 people that might be willing to give one and a half hours of your time four times throughout the summer where we'll meet and talk a little bit about the Sabbath. If this is something that interests you, can you send me an email and and uh, I'd love to connect with you and you can be part of this group. Only about 10 to 12 people. I want to sort of test it out first a little bit and then maybe we'll roll it out to the, to the whole church as something else. But if this is something maybe that you feel, hey, I need, I need to press into a little bit more of our uh, spiritual disciplines and specifically, maybe it's like I need to be celebrating the Sabbath better because the Sabbath is a springboard for actually experience, experiencing the fullness and abundant life of Jesus, then I'd love to be able to connect with you on that. But friends, I want, I, I want to encourage you. 
are we making disciples? We need to be disciples first in practicing these spiritual disciplines, pressing into, into the word of God, into prayer, into doing uh, a number of these things. I want to encourage you again and remind you that we have our, our, our back wall that's the word of God and this side that's praise and that side that's prayer. And if you have something to praise God about, it's, it's great to write that on there. And if you have a prayer request, then write that prayer request on the prayer wall. And, and when you see that prayer answer, then maybe come and circle it or write a praise beside it and say prayer answered or a big check mark. If there's a, a word that God speaks to you, write it down uh, on that back wall the, uh, on the word of God, because journaling is one of, the, uh, one of our spiritual practices, a, a spiritual discipline as well that reminds us of God's goodness and faithfulness and provision. We can only give what we've received. Maybe you can be thinking about even right now, who can I be praying for to invite to Alpha in the fall? We're going to be running Alpha in the fall. It's going to be in person with a meal. Uh, we're, we're going to do that once a year, an in-person Alpha with a meal. And I want to encourage you even right now to start thinking, praying, and even inviting somebody to come out to Alpha. Can I encourage you maybe to join a life group and do community together with other people? Spend time investing into the next generation. Be a disciple-making disciple. You know, when I think of a disciple-making disciple, one person comes to my mind. His name was Jim Dornan. Anyone here remember Jim Dornan? A few people. He passed away a, a few years ago. But Jim was such a blessing to me personally and such a blessing to many others that were here. He intentionally wanted to invest into the youth. In his old age, he, won, he, he spent time praying, talking to, and investing into our young people. I remember times when I would go and I would have a meal with him at, at, his, at the nursing home that was down the street here on 16th Avenue. And, I, and he would tell me some of the stories of things that he had done in his life and, and how, I, even though he didn't say it this way, but I saw it this way, he was such a faithful disciple-making disciple. There were so many people that were impacted by his life and his ministry. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a leader. He wasn't one of those things. He was just a faithful Christian living out the word of God, obeying the commands of Jesus and fulfilling the Great Commission. And I could see the fruit in his life. We could, I could see the fruit of, his, of fruit of the spirit that was being uh, exemplified and displayed and reflected in his life. I could see how he had been walking with the Lord for so many years and seen that beautiful character of Jesus in him. Okay, the next, the next one, it's not just to, to, uh, to go and make disciples, but it's also to baptize them. We had a baptism service a few weeks ago where we were able to baptize uh, some people and, and, and we were able to make that, they were able to make that confession of faith. I want to ask you, if you're here in the congregation and you're sitting here and, and you've never been baptized before, can I encourage you to take that step of faith, of baptism, to display and reflect the work of Jesus in your life to others? Peter says this in Acts chapter 2. Each of you, this is, this, is, uh, after, this is on the day of Pentecost. We're going to talk about Pentecost next Sunday. And we're going to celebrate the power of the Holy Spirit and what he does. But Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he got up there and he preached this amazing message. And after he preached this amazing message, the people were like, what should I do? And maybe after this message, you're going to be like, Daniel, what should I do? Don't worry, I'll let you know at the end, okay? So Peter was there and he was like, he was preaching this amazing message. The people were like, what should we do? Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins, 
Turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a response to the commandment, a response to the Great Commission that Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, and baptize them. And so we are called to do this as well. Are you helping and encouraging others to take that step of baptism? Maybe there's somebody that you know that they've made that confession of faith in Jesus and is a follower of Jesus, but it never been baptized. Because in baptism, it's a confession of what Jesus has done for us. But do you know there's a way that we can also live out our baptism? To live out our baptism on a daily basis. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, it talks about how uh, Paul talking about baptism in this chapter. And if you want to read this whole chapter, it's a great chapter to talk about baptism. But he says here, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. So there's an identification with Jesus' death and resurrection. As we're in this series of resurrection and beyond, there is this identification with Jesus' resurrection. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we, now we also may live new lives. This, this, this idea of baptism, it's a symbolic act that we do that identifies with both the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That in going down into the water, it's a death to our old sinful nature, our old way of living, the ways in which we, we, we don't want to live anymore. And as we come up out of the water, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a testimony, it's a proclamation that we are going to walk in newness of life. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, so put to death... Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy for, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. So Paul talks about putting to death the sinful nature. It's this identification with Christ in his death and resurrection. As we take baptism, it's a symbol of the old is gone and the new has come. We put to death, and, and, and maybe you're struggling today. You can live out. Maybe you took baptism some years ago, uh, and, and you've just forgotten about it. Friends, can I encourage you that even every morning you can live out that baptism by saying, I'm putting off the old sinful nature. I'm putting off anger and malice and wickedness and sin. I'm putting all those things off, and I'm putting on Christ in his love and in his kindness and gentleness and goodness. And we live out that nature of Christ. That's what Paul says a few verses down in verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience and it goes on and you can read the rest of that passage as well and there's a change in our life as as jesus comes to us as jesus comes and transforms us he changes our life and we can live out that baptism on a daily basis and the next he says go and baptize them and then he says teach them and you're probably thinking okay this is daniel's job no 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 it's my job, just the same as it's your job as well. Teach them. Part of the Great Commission is to be able to teach others. And you might say, well, Daniel, I don't understand some of these things. I found the best way to understand things is to teach it yourself. Because it causes you to spend time to read, study, reflect, and as you teach, you'll get even more understanding. 
Matthew 5, verse 19 says this. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who teaches the law of the Lord will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This can happen in a variety of ways. It happens on a Sunday morning like this as I teach the word of God. It can happen midweek during what, as we gather together in life groups and we talk about the word of God. It can happen one-on-one through mentorship as you mentor somebody else and teach the word of God and help them uh, to understand the word of God. It can happen in your own personal study and personal devotions as you are learning and the Holy Spirit is teaching you so that you can teach others as well. We live out the gospel because you might be the only Bible that somebody else will ever read. And so our lifestyle and the way that we live is really important. We need to learn the way of Jesus. We need to learn the way of Jesus. That's why we've been in this whole series since the fall of last year talking about Jesus. Because we wanted to do a reset. If you remember what we talked about in the fall as we started our series on rebuilding, and we said, we just need to do a reset and come back to the basics. We just need to do a reset and come back to what is it all about to be a follower of Jesus, to understand the lifestyle of Jesus, to understand the way of Jesus, to understand what Jesus has commanded us. And so we're in this whole journey just studying and reflecting and reading and praying and meditating and hearing about the way of Jesus. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells this to Timothy, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Then what does he say? Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will, able, who will be able to pass them on to others. If we are to touch our world through Jesus one life at a time, It'll be exceedingly inefficient if just five people are doing the teaching. But if all of us can play a role in teaching just one person, can you imagine if everyone here from now, May long weekend 2023 till May long weekend 2024, if we discipled, taught, walked with, prayed with, studied with just one person. What an amazing impact that would have here at Unionville Alliance Church, in the city of Markham, in our community, and beyond. Is that a tall task? Just one person? In the busyness of our life, can we pause and say, is there one person that we can teach the way of Jesus to? The, the things that we have heard, the things that have been invested into our lives, the things that God has, talk, has taught us, can we teach somebody else that? Paul says in Colossians 3, let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Let the word of God fill you. Let the message of Christ fill you. Let the way of Jesus fill you. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Teach and counsel one another. Paul is exhorting us. He's asking us to do this so that we can be a support one to another. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about the hope as a believer, always be ready to take him to your pastor. We laugh, but you, you don't know the number of times someone's come to me and said, Pastor, can you tell this person about what it is, the gospel? 
Pastor, can you explain this to this person? It says here, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Do you have a hope within you? Do you have the hope of the gospel within you? I'm not saying that you have to come up here and stand in this, uh, in this area and preach the gospel to people. I'm talking about one person. To be able to share the hope that you have in your heart with one person, one-on-one. To touch our world through Jesus one life at a time. Your coworker, your friend, your family member, your neighbor, whoever it is. Can we be disciple-making disciples? That's what God is calling us to. Think about your own life and the people that have impacted you, the people that have spoken into your life, the people that have blessed you, and how you are closer to Jesus because somebody else has taken time to invest into you. Can you not do the same for someone else? If this, uh, if that previous verse about teaching others, if that wasn't continued by the early apostles and by the second generation, early church fathers and third, third generation and all of those things, we would have lost so much. But because they were faithful to this command. This past week, I don't know how many of you heard that Timothy Keller passed away. Timothy Keller was probably the greatest apologist of our generation. And if you've never read his, his book, The Reason for God, I would highly encourage you to read his book, The Reason for God. He has a lot of other books that are really good. But it was so interesting as I was reading some of, some of the things that uh, he was saying near the end of his life. One of the things that he said at the end as he, he, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he had gone through so much treatment, it was about three years ago that he was initially diagnosed And if you read some of his writings and some of the things that he said in these past three years of how he was so much closer to Jesus afterwards, how his prayer life had been revolutionized even after this diagnosis, and how he he said he wouldn't want to go back to his previous prayer life of how it was pre-pancreatic cancer. But when he knew that he was coming to the end and and they said they're going to send him home and they knew the end was just inevitable, it was just going to be a few days, it ended up, I think, being just one day or less. He told his family, send me home. I'm ready to see Jesus. He had a hope. He had a hope in his heart. Send me home. Friends, what is the hope that is within us? And can that hope inform us to be able to make disciples of others? He did it so well. And I encourage you to read some of his writings. The last thing is the promise of his presence. He said, go and do all of these things. And then at the very end, he says, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. That means for the disciples that he was speaking to, and that means to us who are still waiting till the end of the world, Jesus's presence is with us. Matthew 28, verse 20. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And the reason this promise, I think, is here is that it gives us such great confidence, uh, such great assurance that whatever we do, that remember when, when Jesus told Peter, don't be afraid, when we take that step to share the word of God with someone, when we take that step to disciple someone, when we take that step to share the word of God, we realize and we know the living word of God, Jesus Christ, is with us and he'll help us 
Look at, what, look at what Moses told Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you're going. Friends, this promise is applicable for us too, that we know that Jesus is with us wherever we go. In Hebrews, he says it like this. I will never, I never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, we can say with assurance, we can say with such faith and hope, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Right? Maybe you might say, well, I, 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 can, I, I, can, I can disciple this person if somebody else will help me to do that. You got the greatest helper right beside you. You got Jesus with you, who will walk with you, who will encourage you, who will be with you. Worship team, please come. I want to close by telling you the story of a man named Dawson Trotman. Dawson Trotman had a, a high value of coming alongside people to help them to grow in their faith. He met a Navy sailor by the name of Les Spencer, and he began to mentor him and teach him the word of God and tell him what it means to follow Jesus. They spent many hours together, praying together, studying scripture together, memorizing verses together. When one of Spencer's shipmates saw the change in his life, he came to Spencer and said, what's changed in your life? And do you know what Spencer did? He took that guy and brought him to Dawson Trotman and said, can you teach him what you taught me? And Dawson Trotman looked back at him and said, you teach him. And so he did. Spencer taught that other person. And eventually, Spencer and that other person taught two more people. And eventually, the 125 men on the USS West Virginia were growing in Christ and actively sharing their faith. Because they lived out that vision that they could touch their world through Jesus one life at a time. Not 125 lives at a time, but one life at a time. By the end of World War II, thousands of men on ships and bases around the world were learning about spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines and the multiplication that happens when you do one-on-one -on -one personal discipleship. This began a worldwide movement called the Navigators. And you might have heard of the Navigators. They're all around the world sharing the gospel, and they believe in one-on-one -on -one discipleship that happens. Dawson Trotman designed the, this logo originally uh, of the Navigators, which was a wheel. Christ at the center and four spokes the word, prayer, fellowship, and witnessing. And those were the stokes of, of this wheel that were all centered around that hub, which was Christ. They're in more than 100 countries today with a staff of, from 70 different nationalities speaking 130 different languages. Now, if you look at that now and you say, wow, look at what they've gone to, more than 100 countries and 130 languages? Where did it all start? By Dawson Trotman sharing the word of God and discipling one person. And that one person discipled another person. So here's the bottom line. If you forget everything else that I've shared today, this is it. When you walk out of these doors, when you walk out of the church this morning, one thing I'm asking you, who is the one person 
that you will begin to disciple? Who is the one person that you can begin to mentor? Who is the one person that you can walk alongside with and teach the Word of God, pray with, memorize the Word of God? That's it, just one person. I think if we did that, we can revolutionize the world and the kingdom of God will come here on earth as it is in heaven. Let's stand and sing.